This is the DX Podcast, proudly presented by Wondrous. In the fourth episode, Peter talks to Selim Benayat of Rosie Reality. Hi, I'm Selim, co-founder and CEO of Rosie Reality. Hi, Selim. Welcome to the uh, Digital Experience Podcast. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Um, we were just talking about this before. You visited the Digital Experience Meetup last last year. Um, it was still summer and it was still in our old office and people were actually still interacting. Do you want to just bring us up to date on, on what you've been up to in the meantime? Yeah, sure. Um, now that you speak about it, it's sort of a surreal experience having so many people in a narrow room. <laughs> but um, I mean, good old times, right? Um, so what have I done since then? Um, in September, October-ish, um, Rosie Reality announced that we were a global launch partner for Apple Arcade, um, which was a pretty big deal for us. And um, maybe to quickly give a background on Rosie Reality, um, we do augmented reality entertainment for families. And Apple picked up on us. and. Um, Long story short, we were able to get in a partnership and um, become a global launch partner and be on stage um, during WWDC and all of that jazz, which was quite exciting for us as a company. Obviously, huge congratulations on that. That's a massive Thank deal. <laughs> um, I think you knew that when you were doing the meetup last year, but you weren't allowed to say so. Um, so, uh, yes. yeah, no, of course. Um, congratulations on that. Um, we'll talk about um, the long story afterwards, which I'm really interested in. Um, sure. Do you want to just kind of um, you know, let us know your background and how you got into this field? Yeah, of course. Um, so my background might be slightly unconventional. Um, I started off actually not completely in the tech sector um, as I studied actually biochemistry at first during my bachelor's years um, in Basel, and then transitioned to actually biophysics, which then started to um, slowly but surely have, you know, a tech component, because biophysics is sort of, you look at biological phenomena through a lens of physics, meaning you try to understand how cells react to stress or to compression and so on. And there very often you use um, programming to sort of understand such complex systems. And this was sort of my foray into technology itself, moving away from wet sciences such as biochemistry. And um, that then actually led to a first startup um, that I got to participate in. And after that, um, which took about one and a half years, I moved on to um, studying a PhD in robotics, um, which was then completely, you know, in, in technology, basically. And that was at ETH Zurich. Um, and I was lucky enough to pause that PhD to start my company, Rosie Reality, together with my co-founder. Which was about, I think that was about two years ago, right? Yes, exactly. So Rosie Reality, um, which again, we were or are doing um, family entertainment using augmented reality, um, got founded um, the at the beginning of 2018. 
actually January 2018. And uh, you founded that with a, with a guy with a great name, uh, Peter? Exactly. Peter, also yes. a Brit, right? <laughs> He's a Brit, exactly. Um, and you both met um, at the ETH. We did. We did. Cool. Exactly. So, so we, I mean, we were lucky enough to, to meet each other at the lab, basically. Um, and we recognized each other's sort of strengths and weaknesses. Uh, we had appreciation for each other, respect, mutual respect for um, our skills. And we thought, hey, we might make great co-founders. Um, and we actually met um, each other, you, yourself and myself and, and Peter, um, when we were at a pitch event in Zurich. I can remember that night very well because it was terrible. Um, uh, but oh, for me, anyway, I don't know how, how it was for you. Um, but it was obviously uh, great to meet you guys. Um, and it's been uh, great fun following um, your, your crazy path uh, since then. Um, and, um, do you just want to, um, kind of, uh, elaborate a little bit on that, the, you know, where you've been since like coming up with the idea for, um, augmented reality in the kind of educational space? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, so you want me to sort of maybe go through our very first funding steps, um, up to a point where it gets interesting, um, well, sure. I can remember that evening you presented a um, an actual physical robot um, yes. of sorts, <laughs> exactly. and you've you've gone places since then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So I mean, that takes us way back. Um, it actually takes us back to the beginning, uh, where it was Peter and me sort of working on on a bigger vision um, that was still sort of tied to a physical robot-esque hardware piece. Um, but, you know, the, very quickly uh, we realized that hardware was not our strength. Um, because if, if you look at hardware, it's I don't think it's an area where startups sort of can um, really leverage the fact that they're small and that they're nimble. Um, I mean, it might have changed a little bit since then because of 3D printing and all of that stuff. Um, but fundamentally, working on software basically gives you the biggest leverage because you can try so many things in, in a very short amount of time. So we focus our, our attention away from hardware onto software um, with sort of the vision that we can use augmented reality to give physicality to digital objects. So we were still very bullish on the fact that physicality in a product, especially an educational product, was something we were interested in, but we were not interested in hardware. Can you say why you were interested in that particular aspect? Yeah. Can you put your finger on it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we, we had the notion that if you really want to teach STEM-related skills, and that was software technology engineering math, um, for us, it was hugely important to somehow tie it down to something physical just because it helped kids. And we were, I mean, it's important to say we're focusing on kids um, between the ages of six to eight, um, eight to 10 ish. 
Um, and for us, it was, we just saw that they had a natural playing behavior that was tied to physical objects, you know, starting with the little choo-choo trains made out of wood, going up to Lego, going up to maybe, you know, yo-yos and stuff. Um, so there was always sort of a physical component to the playing behavior of kids. And for us, it was important to get that physicality in because it, it we thought they're going to learn much quicker and sort of more in depth if they can touch stuff, break stuff, throw stuff, especially when you talk sciences, right? I mean, how do you explain sort of resistance of air? You take a feather and you take a stone and, you know, drop them at the same time, right? Um, so that, that was sort of our notion of how we want to teach kids um, using physicality. And so you went from the from the physical um, kind of hardware based version to this uh, very um, programmed and, and augmented reality based. Yes, exactly. So, and I mean that sort of ties into um, the bigger vision that I had, um, sort of throughout my sort of career at, in in robotics. I was always interested in merging sort of the digital world with the real world, and at that time especially at that time, um, I sort of thought that the best way to do it is to use vision-based technology. And vision means if, if you think about um, computer vision, it means that you try to understand your surroundings using a camera or multiple cameras, and then you use that understanding of the environment to sort of do something with it. And our something was to place digital objects inside of that environment, inside of that room, and anchor them to that room. And anchoring means that digital object is positioned or is, has a fixed position, meaning you as a user would see that digital object through your phone, and you could move closer to it or move away from it, and it would still just be fixed there giving you the impression that it really is there. And that was one of the component, how we would start to establish physicality um, with just digital objects. Because if you think about it, physicality has many properties, obviously. And, and one of, one of the, the properties is that it doesn't really move away, right? And, and so that was the first step for us, you know, going towards making digital feel real and feel hard. And then obviously, maybe we, we get into all the other components, which would be sound or, or just um, haptics. Uh, so we were working to, towards making that feel as real as possible. Great. Thanks. Thanks for that. That's, um, that's really interesting. Um, and if I understood it correctly, you also spent quite a bit of time um, in the kind of San Francisco Bay Area, Silicon Valley. Um, do you think you kind of picked up a, a bit of the um, entrepreneurial kind of uh, um, gene when you were there or the DNA that um, seems to be uh, hanging in the air in, in, in that kind of area? And um, is that something that you think um, you brought back or is it something that you think you probably had beforehand already? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. And I think I never quite thought about that. Um, but now that, that, that you asked me, um, I had this inter entrepreneurial sort of spirit way before going to San Francisco. It, it, I, and I think you 
have to have it before you go to San Francisco, at least the way that we did it. And the way that we did it is we raised money from, um, you know, pretty good investors in San Francisco um, pretty quickly, meaning that, that I was sort of able to speak the language that they speak. I was sort of able to think the way that they tend to think. And it might be a fallacy of the industry, but it is what it is. I think, you know, similar thoughts and similar people invest into each other. So you, you sort of, you sort of needed to understand them before you sort of start interacting with the ecosystem, them, you know, being the ecosystem, not just investors. So um, obviously, you know, I, I learned tons while being there and, and sort of talking to people, interacting with people. And yes, I made it actually one of my sort of premier tasks is to sort of bring a lot of that energy that you have in, in the Bay Area back sort of to, to Zurich and, and, you know, sort of infuse my people with it, right? Because that, that was hugely important to, to our success to this day is we have this short-term urgency, but a long-term patience, right? And, and very often um, in beautiful places such as Zurich or, or just generally Europe, people tend to be slightly more relaxed because it's such a great life that we have here. Um, and if, if you really want to create something out of thin air, which a startup tends to be, you really have to be vicious and, and, and you, you can't really slow down. Because if you slow down, I mean, there, there's this great quote from um, Paul Graham, which was the founder of Y Combinator and sort of, you know, a, a great spokes figure for the Bay Area and startup ecosystem. And he sort of has this, this thought that startups are default dead, meaning if you don't do anything, you're dead. Right. Because you have to create stuff out of thin air. Um, so meaning you have to sort of keep pushing every day. And, and that was sort of one, you know, one of the cultural aspects or is one of the cultural aspects in our team is to really keep pushing hard. You know, and, and I think if, if you would ask me, what, what am I bringing back from San Francisco or generally the Bay Area? I think it would be that to really push hard. And so would you, is your kind of general feeling that, um, you know, Zurich uh, or Basel or Switzerland as a place for, for startups, is it, is it good, bad? What's your kind of uh, take on that? Yeah, um, I mean, that's a question that gets thrown around, uh, around a lot. Um, and I'm never sure how to answer it. I, I sort of don't want to grade it. You know, I, I don't want to have it on a spectrum uh, between good and bad. I don't want to have it on a spectrum between sort of hardworking and not hardworking. I think it's just, we just got to acknowledge that it's different. But I mean, is it, is it a good atmosphere for you or, and for your startup? Um, or would you wish it would have uh, different aspects that would like provide you with more support? Or do you, do you feel there's like something missing? Yeah, I think that's, that's a way a better question. Um, and I would say there are sort of things missing that tend to be not as tangible, meaning, you know, you, you, you have all the monetary power. So you, you have a lot of money in Switzerland. Now, you know, I, I speak about Zurich, the startup ecosystem in Zurich, um, because I, I can't speak, I mean, I can't speak for Berlin and London and the other hubs, but more as an observer, 
here in Zurich, I'm sort of an actor, right? So what I can say in Zurich is you have tons of money. Um, so there is no issue during the pre-seed, seed, or Series A stage. Like theoretically, there is no, no issue. Um, you even have now bigger funds who start to invest in Zurich. I know personally, you know, that you have Atomico who invests in Zurich. Uh, they invested in us. And they're, they're one of the biggest funds in Europe. Um, you have GB, which is former Google Ventures, now just called GB, which is a joke on the street. <laughs> but GB invests in Zurich. Um, so you, you have a lot of sort of big time funds who come to Zurich. So money is not, not an issue. I think what the issue is, apart from those big funds, is that the, the medium investor, or let's say the average investor, um, did not yet taste success to the point where he will not take risk into account. And that's the huge difference between San Francisco or the Bay Area and, and Europe or now Zurich. It's in San Francisco, if you have a crazy idea, investors will gladly invest, but not because they're sort of visionary or super smart or whatever buzzword you want to put into it. It's actually the opposite. It's because they're scared that they're not smart enough and they're missing the next Facebook. Because Facebook happened over and over and over again. You had, you know, Uber, you had Airbnb, you had Dropbox, you had, you know, like all of those big, big, big success stories. And they were all non-obvious at the beginning, right? But the fact still remains that they created huge upside and people are now scared that they miss those non-obvious cases and then they will be called out, right? They will say, dude, why did you miss that? So you have sort of this FOMO cycle that you start investing and not think about risk that much. Now you take that and you put that into Zurich and you don't have it. Zurich simply doesn't have an Airbnb or a Facebook, right? It will come for sure because people are freaking fantastic, but they didn't they, we didn't have it up until now meaning the investors are still looking at what could go wrong instead of what could go right. So that's like the big difference that I currently see um, between, you know, Zurich ecosystem, maybe Berlin and um, the Bay Area. But how about for yourself? Do you think Zurich is a place you'd like to kind of stick around for a while? Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, Zurich has been treating me very well. Um, there, there are tremendous people that, that are supporting me personally and us as a company. And I think that the mix is what really um, is our advantage. The mix between Bay Area people supporting us and Zurich people supporting us. It, it just creates this perfect storm. And also, frankly, it's a slight arbitrage opportunity, right? Because we hire the best people on the planet when it comes to computer vision, literally at ETH. They're the best people. And they're on your doorstep, yeah. Exactly. And they're on a doorstep and cost less because there is not as much competition as in, in the Bay Area where everybody and their grandmother is sort of founding a startup. Which uh, hikes up the prices uh, exactly. <laughs> for good programmers. <laughs> um, is there a, a, like a, a particular person in your life that you th kind of feel like they sent you in a specific direction or... Um, somebody like a, a mentor, um, maybe at the ETH or uh, during your studies in Basel, um, that kind of put you on on the track that you're on now. More like a question of how do you, th um, what, who, the career path that you're on now. How do you think you kind of got sent in that direction, 
or is it just pure opportunity? Mm, I wouldn't say it's, I mean, obviously opportunity is a, a big factor. Um, but I think there are sort of two people. Um, the first one is, is very obvious. It's my dad, right? My dad sort of, I grew up, um, with him being very entrepreneurial. Um, first he was a director, book writer, um, and then sort of got fortunate enough to be able to start trading stocks and everything. And, and very early on, he was sort of a self-made man and was constantly sort of doing his own thing. And um, he studied, um, you know, ethnology and all of that stuff. So we were constantly talking about society and why people are doing what they do and, you know, how culture influences that and, and, and all of that stuff. So I, I was always very interested in sort of working um, at the intersection of sort of society and technology just to create new stuff. Um, so that, that's obviously the biggest influence in my life. And then, um, you know, that led me to be open to not wanting to work for big companies straight away, but to start something on my own. Once I started it, um, there is one guy um, who was the biggest catalyst in my career so far. And his name is Jacob Mullins. Um, and Jacob is a partner at a Bay Area fund called Shasta Ventures. Shasta um, is one of the bigger um, Bay Area funds, very smart investments into robotics and, and other frontier technologies. And Jacob, at the time I, I got to know him, was a very young partner at this fund. He came from Yale, very smart guy and very likable guy. And he sort of returned my cold email. I sent out a lot of cold emails you know, to Bay Area people because we wanted to raise money from them. You know what? Nobody replied but Jacob. And I remember the email uh, that Jacob sent me uh, till the, uh, to this day. And he said, hey, you're building something that looks quite interesting. I would love to have a virtual coffee. And that was sort of the conversation that sparked up everything. Um, Jacob was so nice and sort of um, understanding of, hey, that's just a guy that is sort of new to that ecosystem. Let me introduce him to all of my people that I know. Um, let me help him raise that, that, that round. And literally he opened so many doors in, in, in the Bay area. Um, he was sort of now that we're in COVID times, he was patient zero for me. So he literally was the guy that connected me to everybody. And to this day, I mean, we're chatting. He obviously also invested in, in us. Um, so he also walked the talk, um, and to this day we're, we're chatting and, and he's being tremendously helpful. Jacob Mullins, awesome guy. Cool. Thanks. Um, anything in particular you think, um, keeps you inspired, um, to, to kind of keep going along this, this road of, uh, augmented reality and education or in general to get up in the morning? Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm. I mean, I'm pretty driven um, by just the fact that I want to bring together the digital world and the real world. Like, I, I think that's I'm sort of obsessed with that. Um, and, you know, we we talked about pivots before. Right. And and obviously we, we pivoted um, from a pure edutainment, which is education entertainment um, to almost purely entertainment by now. Right. Um, but what stuck 
is still this aspect of wanting to merge the digital and the real, right? And now over time, um, I came to understand that vision is not the only thing needed. And vision might just be a small part, actually. And I currently, my thesis is more based around sort of platforms and how platforms will help bridge the digital and the real and sort of bring them together rather than just vision. And and the the reason is that vision-based systems, which is broadly speaking for me right now, placing digital objects in an environment that you understand, tend to be very sort of local and short term. Um, obviously, there are great people out there, for instance, at Niantic, that are working on global platforms, meaning you can have persistent experiences. Um, persistence means you can have a lot of digital objects within a room that stay there even if your device is shut off, meaning I see something, I shut off my device, you come in with your device, you boot it up and would see it without you know doing anything. Meaning um, there is sort of the, the room stays on mapped basically, um, which is a step in the right direction, right? Meaning you get rid of the short-term aspect of vision-based systems and you get rid of the hyper-local aspect because, you know, maps can then be drawn and, and, and made by many people, meaning you can map global areas, what Niantic is sort of trying to do right now. So all power to them. Um, what, what we're interested in now more, or me personally, is sort of using platform dynamics to merge the virtual and the real. And there is a very interesting founder I'm currently sort of um, talking to um, who's sort of trying to bring together, for instance, the sneaker head ecosystem together with a sort of game approach where you can walk and you, you earn sort of coins to then buy digital sneakers. And people go crazy about that because he sort of empowers them to not only buy digital sneakers, but also produce digital sneakers. So, I mean, that, that's just a beautiful example of how you can leverage, you know, real aspects of commerce with digital aspects of commerce and create this new sort of layer in between those two worlds. And one that could become absolutely industry agnostic as well. Uh, you don't have to think about one specific industry. It could be one for many different ones. Um, just a kind of a final thought maybe from your side. Um, I'd just be really interested to see or hear your thoughts on where your path might lead. Um, so now that we know where you've, where you kind of come from, where you're at right now, where do you think, where do you think you're headed? Yeah, that's obviously, you know, a good question that I try to answer, um, you know, quite regularly. It's like, I try to answer it in a way where I ask myself, um, am I sort of enjoying the path I'm on right now? And is it directionally correct? Meaning, does it point towards I want to go? Because quite quite honestly, I'm not sure, you know, where I will be in, in three to five years. I mean, that's just the nature of, you know, founding something or just the nature of working in technology, right? You got to be open to sort of try new stuff. You gotta be open to sort of adapt to your environment. That's the beauty of software, right? It's very fluid. Um, so I think 
I don't know where I'm going to be um, in five years. What I know, though, is that it will be at the intersection of sort of software and the real world, because that's what I'm really interested in. Wow, cool. Thanks. Um, yeah, thanks for, for taking the time to kind of elaborate a little bit on, yeah, your, yourself and, and uh, maybe provide a bit of inspiration for other kids out there and the community in Switzerland or in general. So thanks for taking the time. Oh, bye, Peter. Ciao, Sadie. Bye. We have reached the end of this Digital Experience podcast. Thanks for listening. For further information about us, please head over to weawondrous.com.